Before we get started, I want to share something very exciting that I have been working on and I would love to invite you to. Here at Mamas in Training, my goal is to create community. As a mama in training myself, I have learned that in order to get through this motherhood thing, community is key. So I have decided to create just that. Mamas in Training Premium will be launching at the end of the summer. This will be a monthly membership where you will get on-air shoutouts, ask me anything, special opportunities to meet future and former podcast guests, and most importantly, a monthly online Zoom support party with me and the rest of the members, all for the whopping price of $7 a month basically a venti latte at Starbucks. But right now, I have already started our meetings with a small beta group of about 20 ladies, and there are a few slots left. So if you would like instant community for $7, then what are you waiting for? Go ahead and click the link in the show notes that says premium membership, and I'll see you at the next meeting. Now on to the show. First of all, it's important to know that before your child turns one, the majority of their calories and nutrients should be coming from either breast milk or formula. So if your child is struggling with weight gain, there may be something that you want to address in that realm, be it concentrating formula, working with a lactation consultant to see if there's any latch issues if you're breastfeeding. So assuming that all of that has been fine-tuned and your baby is taking a good amount with formula or breast milk. Like, then now what do we do about the food? Does the thought of starting solids or food and baby just overwhelm you? On the show today is Taylor Arnold, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the CEO of Growing Intuitive Eaters. She breaks down how to begin thinking about food during pregnancy. Also, where to begin once you've reached those milestones and other stressors like allergies, choking, and gagging. I could have talked to Taylor all day long about this topic. It is so important for mamas to know where to turn to for information that is up to date, researched and proven. And Taylor Arnold at Growing Intuitive Eaters is your gal. Here she is. I felt like I should feel 100% prepared because like I have this fancy PhD, I'm an RD, like I should know exactly what to do, but I didn't really feel that prepared because we, the amount of training that we get in school about how to feed your baby for the first time is very minimal. And frankly, all the training that I got in school was outdated. I had to kind of go seek my own training. I did a lot of research on PubMed, which is like the database where medical professionals find scholarly articles about these topics. Once I did all of that, yeah, I did feel prepared and and comfortable, but at the time I didn't and actually kind of felt like, not embarrassed, but like, I should know this because I'm a dietitian, but I was new to it too, you know, and it's scary feeding your, it's just different when it's your own kid. It's intimidating. You worry about it. I love what you do as a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and the CEO of Growing Intuitive Eaters. You work with parents and children, which is the coolest thing you work with them together. I also think the key point about what you do is helping moms with the struggle of body image, that chronic dieting and not passing that on to their kids. I think that's a really key element because 
all of these habits that we get and that we form, we do form as children and as infants even. So how have you found that either you yourself have experienced this or you working with clients, how have you been able to really make that shift in the children that you've worked with? I think when you make a shift with a kid, it comes from working with the parent, you know, because like infants aren't struggling with body image or even toddlers. Um, It's really working about working with parents on shifting their mindset. So that's really where we make the most difference because it's, it's interesting when you go into like a pediatric world, at least with, as a dietitian, you think, Oh, I'm going to be like working with kids the whole time. That's why I want to do it, which is true. But that, you know, you are spending a lot of time working with kids, but the way you make a change is to work with the parents. And so that's the part that I really enjoy with that. Um, and so working with parents on mindset shifts and, honestly feeling less stressed about the process is where Mm -hmm. I really like to see a change there. Can we talk about intuitive eating? What is intuitive eating? Yes. So um, that's a really good question. So intuitive eating encompasses listening to your body and recognizing your body's signals around food. It encompasses understanding how food is going to make you feel and making decisions based off of that, not only in the short term, but also in the long term. It involves rejecting the impact of diet culture on our food choices. And so what I mean by diet culture is these ideas that are just bombarding us from social media, from friends and family, even what we get in the medical system that, you know, worth is tied to your weight or health is tied to your weight, or you have to eat a certain way to look or feel or be a certain way. And so it's rejecting that and accepting evidence-based science around nutrition, um, but also understanding how your own body reacts to the way that you eat and how you feel surrounding food. So there is a concept of mindful eating, which is like being aware of what you're eating and being in the moment. And intuitive eating kind of goes well beyond that. And this concept of you provide, they decide. And that goes hand in hand with what you explained earlier, where it's less stress. I think, especially families who are just starting with children, who are just starting with food, it's there's stresses of weight gain, there's stresses of, you know, time crunch. There's all of these stressors that come into mealtime. And we just, we want them to eat, 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 or try it. You're going to like, you have to eat something, especially if you have your pediatrician or someone coming down on you telling you they need to, you know, gain more weight. They're in the lower percentile or whatever it is. So what is this concept of you provide, they decide, and how can it really take some of that stress off of the dinner table or lunch table or breakfast table? Yeah. So the concept of you provide child decides is called the division of responsibility. And it's a feeding theory that was coined by a dietitian named Ellen Satter. And it's really the gold standard when it comes to, um, building trust in the, around mealtimes with your child. And you want to have trust in the feeding environment because when your child and you and your child have that trust, your child is going to be open, more open to trying new foods, which is great when we talk about preventing and reversing picky eating as your kid gets older, because most kids do go through a picky eating phase at some point in their, in their toddlerhood or young preschool age. 
it also helps reduce stress at mealtime. So I'm going to explain that concept a little more. So you provide child decide means that we have two buckets um, and I call them the responsibility buckets is why it's the division of responsibility. So what goes in the child's bucket is it's their job to decide what to eat and how much they're going to eat. And what goes in the adult's bucket so it could be parent, whoever is feeding the child in the moment, grandparent. What goes in the adult's bucket is what's served and when it's served and how it's served. Um, and so the child gets to choose and have control over their bucket and the adult gets to have control over their bucket. And when you reach into your child's bucket and take away a responsibility of theirs, be, let, be it like you have to eat before you get down from the table for an older child or for like an infant, putting food into their mouth, if they have the ability to feed themselves, that would be taking from their bucket. You're then breaking down that trust in the feeding environment and you're ignoring your child's ability to listen to their hunger and fullness cues. Now, there are exceptions with everything. Um, So some children do struggle with you know, responding to hunger and fullness cues for a number of reasons. And many of them are medical reasons. Like if they have horrible reflux and eating hurts, they're not going to listen to their hunger cues. For example, that's just one thing that can be more common in infants, but assuming no medical issues, that's kind of, that's the approach that we want to take. And if there are medical issues, we still want to take that approach, but we might be adding some other therapies in with a dietitian. With an infant, um, this does apply to babies who are starting solids too. Um, and so the way that we can enforce this principle with an infant would be allowing them to feed themselves and, um, teaching them how to indicate when they're done at a meal time. So using sign language, um, is another way that we can enforce that. Mm, and if you're not using sign language, just learning to recognize how your baby communicates with you at mealtime. So like when they start smearing food everywhere on their tray, does that typically mean they're done? Some babies are just exploring and like my son, like when he's done, he throws, he rubs food in his hair. So I know when he's done, when he starts <laughs> doing those done. things. But the really big thing when it comes to infants with starting with these healthy eating habits is allowing them to feed themselves rather than feeding the child, which means like avoiding putting food directly into their mouth, avoiding directly spoon feeding the child. I think what you just said is a key point because we could see some of those actions, some of those mannerisms, like putting food in their hair, like throwing food as a behavioral thing. And we could almost come down on them for that. But if we have that mindset of what are they trying to tell me, you know? 100%. But Taylor, my pediatrician said that my kid isn't getting enough food. So if I just let them feed themselves and they don't eat anything during that lunch session, how am I supposed to manage my stress around that? That's a really good question. And I think that's a question that a lot of moms have. So if you feel that way, you're not alone. First of all, it's important to know that before your child turns one, the majority of their calories and nutrients should be coming from either breast milk or formula. So if your child is struggling with weight gain, um, there may be something that you want to address in that realm, be it concentrating formula, working with a lactation consultant to see how, like if there's any latch issues, if you're breastfeeding. So assuming that all of that has been fine-tuned and your baby is taking a good amount with formula or breast milk. Like, then now what do we do about the food? 
We want to work with our child to help them explore the food and make food fun and interesting and exciting for them. So like, for example, some children maybe struggling with sensory issues with food. Like they don't like the slimy texture on their hands or they don't like their foods to be mess, their hands to be messy. And therefore they're like less likely to touch the food and eat the food at mealtime. So in that situation, we want to work with our child by exposing them repeatedly and in a safe environment to those messy textures in play to help them accept that food. There's actually some really interesting research that shows us that if we don't advance the textures early enough when we're starting solids with our infants mm. that we can predispose them to struggle with sensory issues. Um, also, if we like hyper clean them oh, at mealtimes, we can also cause sensory issues. So like if you're constantly mm. wiping your baby down while they're eating, you're telling them that it's not okay to be dirty and we don't want to be dirty. And so then when they're messy with food, they freak out and they may not eat. So addressing those can be really significant in helping a baby increase their intake. In addition, there's lots of things that we can do to bump up the calories of certain foods. So rather than feeling like we need to increase the volume of foods, maybe we need to keep the volume the same, but figure out how we can bump up the calories. I do this a lot with my clients. So we do things like adding avocado and beans and tofu and butter and olive oil, all of these really rich, heavy fat foods. And then we can also add high protein foods like lentil or pea intake, or if they're meat eaters, like how can we get some like good high iron rich meats into them? We can increase their fish intake because that's a really great source of protein with lots of DHA. We can add hemp seeds and chia seeds and flax seeds to everything to bump up the calories that way. So basically look at what your child is eating and think, how can I increase the calories? How can I maximize the nutrients there? Even like nut butters can be a great yeah. thing, assuming you've worked kind of through that allergen introduction. So rather than feeling like I need to get my baby to eat like more quantity volume wise, yeah. see how what they're eating now, how can you modify that to like make it work for them even more? And then finally, reach out to a pediatric dietitian because you know, our pediatricians, they're so wonderful, but they're so busy. And frankly, they don't a lot of times have time to sit down I'd give you this like extensive diet education on how to maximize the calories in your baby's food. What if they have sensory needs? How do you know that? What, like, does their formula need to be modified? Do, does their latch need to be evaluated? So reach out to a pediatric dietitian for an evaluation if you're concerned, because there's likely lots of things that we can do to help you and your child before, you know, you really start to get stressed about it. That's a good introduction for me to mention that if anyone listening I went ahead, and I don't even have kids yet, I'm just an aspiring mom, but I went ahead and took your free webinar. So if you go onto the show notes, you'll see Taylor has a starting solids system. It, it's awesome, I loved it. I found it really interesting. And let me actually just say, so last year I released these courses for starting solids and preventing and reducing picky eating. And I did have a webinar to introduce this, but I have since completely changed my business oh, model and I will be releasing those courses for free. Um, so yeah, so my starting solids course is called feeding 101 and that 
the entire course along with the entire ebook and worksheets will be 100% free for any family who wants that information, as well as my um, signature Growing Intuitive Eaters 101 course, which is to prevent and reverse picky eating and raise kids with a healthy relationship with food. That will also be 100% oh free. Oh my gosh. Um, well. Woohoo. I love that. Thank you. And make sure yes. I'll get all the correct <laughs> links for you. And so you can find those links in the show yes. notes to get that access. Did you feel like you knew these things and you were able during your pregnancy to prepare yourself or did you just kind of stumble upon it and figure it out? I mean, I think I'm in a unique situation because this is my expertise in my field of research and study. Um, So I did feel prepared, but what I would recommend to moms, if you're a researcher like me, it just feels so overwhelming when you're pregnant of all the things that you have to yes. decide. Like you make so many decisions on like sleep and safety and like products that you're gonna buy and breastfeeding versus formula and all the medical decisions mm-hmm. and parenting style. Oh my gosh, there's just so much to decide. If you have the bandwidth <laughs> to think about how you want to feed your kid, just think about it a little bit before you have the baby. Because once you have the baby, it there's just so much other stuff that you have to decide and think about too. And the four month mark when your pediatrician will start talking to you about solids really creeps up on you fast. And what I don't recommend is going into that four month appointment, never having done any research or thinking about how you want to feed your baby, because it's really important to go into that appointment prepared and being ready to make a joint decision or have an informed discussion with your pediatricians. And before you have the baby, just think about it. Know that there are different options. You can spoon feed purees. You can do baby led weaning. You can do a combination of both. I would give some advice to the mamas out there or to soon to be mamas or pregnant mamas. Just know that there is a lot of misinformation on the internet about feeding babies. Just be careful, like asking for advice from a random person without any credentials or experience because you don't know what you're going to get. And so that's why I think it's important to do your research and find somebody that you trust that can give you good quality information um, and help prepare you for, you know, that four month appointment where you're going to need to start making decisions about feeding your baby. With that being said, we might run into a lot of these type of situations with parents, in-laws, other family members, and especially when we're starting solids and we're often probably around family even more maybe than when they're toddlers. How do we navigate that? You know, these are decisions that we've decided hopefully with our partner and we've come to an agreement and this is what we think is best. And what do we do when, you know, mother-in-law says like, no, but you need to be giving them this, you know, what do you do? Right. Well, first and foremost, it's the most important to be on the same page with your partner. Um, As you grow or as your child grows, um, you want to be on the same page with them because implementing a feeding strategy is so much less effective if they're getting mixed messages in the house. Mm. Um, So that is like my number one priority is if you're like making all the feeding decisions which is like how our household work, I generally would like do the research, kind of decide what I think is best, 
talk to my husband about it and he'd be like, sure, okay. And we'd be on the same page. Now, let's say you go to like a family dinner, like you said, and you choose the baby led weaning route and you put a like a whole piece of steak on your child's plate. Um, <laughs> so that's like in a situation where somebody would be like, you're feeding them. Yeah. <laughs> Or like somebody tries to feed your baby by putting food directly in your mouth and you want to avoid that because putting food directly in a child's mouth, especially a baby, is a very high choking risk. So you want to avoid directly putting food in their mouth. But let's say somebody tries to do that because like that's how we were raised or that's how they fed their kids. What do you do in that situation? This is a good time to get comfortable with intervening regarding comments about the way you feed your kids because it's going to continue and likely get worse as your kid gets older. So I just recommend practicing, even if you need to practice using the words Mm -hmm. in the mirror at home. (laughs) That's a good idea. And saying something like, you know, this is how we've decided to feed our kid. And I would really appreciate it if you'd be supportive in that, or, you know, you can be more lighthearted and give information. Like this is a really evidence way to feed babies and it, it helps them to learn to regulate their own hunger and fullness. And it helps increase their motor skills because they're moving their hands a lot. And isn't this so cool? You can take that approach. Um, you can just avoid feeding your kid around and like uh, outspoken family members for a little bit if it takes yeah. a while for you to get comfortable. Um, so there's there's lots of options, but but there will the comments will continue. Um, so practice now because now I, in my opinion, I think the comments about how you're feeding your baby are easier to navigate than when your kid gets older. And there's comments about like, oh, you know, they're like, look at all that chub. I love seeing that. Or comments about like, oh my gosh, that's the third serving of ice cream. Where does it all go? Like comments like that are a lot harder to navigate because they're kind of, they can understand it. They internalize those messages of, um, around weight and food and sweets more. And so just, it's a good time to practice it. Look at it as a practice opportunity. <laughs> I've shared on my stories a lot and posted question boxes for people to add the comments that their families have shared. And it's outlandish, the kinds of things that people say. I do not know why people feel so inclined to comment about the way kids eat, yeah. but it happens a lot. Okay. So we're at that four month mark. We're at that six month mark. And we've been told that we've gotten the approval, right? We're ready to start on this journey where do you recommend we begin? Well, um, first of all, you're going to get variety in whether or not you are told to start at four months versus six months. Um, and that's a nuanced question, um, because it's not about the time or the age of your child. Um, and now I'm speaking here to, um, including include corrected ages for preemies. So if your child is born premature, this is a corrected age that I'm talking about. So the reason why we generally say six months is because that's a time when a child typically develops a certain motor milestones and skills. Um, and that is what you want to watch for versus the actual age. Um, so your child should be sitting independently Um, meaning like they can sit on the floor without you having to support them with a boppy Mm -hmm. or whatever. They need to be able to bring food to their mouth. Um, they need to be able to lateralize things with their tongue. So like if you stick your finger in their mouth, clean figure out finger, obviously like, you know, they typically will push it to the side with their Mm -hmm. tongue. 
Um, you also see a lot of people say that they need to lose their tongue thrust reflux, which is where if something is in their mouth, they immediately push it forward mm -hmm. with their tongue. And that's like a safety protective mechanism for their airway. However, you know, it's the loss of the tongue thrust reflux is not like a light switch. It is a progressive loss over time. So we just need to see that to start to decrease. If your child still kind of pushes things out of their mouth, that doesn't mean that they're not ready for solids. Um, they should start to decrease that tongue thrust reflux. And they should also show interest in food. If your baby doesn't care about food, it's going to have, it's going to be a difficult time to, to feed them. Um, we want to make the, the high chair a positive experience and the mealtime a positive experience. Now, some babies develop those milestones before six months and some babies develop those milestones after six months. So from like a milestone perspective, that's when we know that we should be starting solids. Um, but on average, it happens at six months, which is why the recommendation is mm. technically six months. However, and this is where I've been doing some decision-making recently because I used to be on the train of like six months period when they meet those milestones, like that is only when you start solids. But within the last decade, we've had some research come out, including some two really big trials. They're called the LEAP and the EAT trials, doing research on the prevention of food allergies. And so we see um, in the LEAP trial for children who were high risk for peanut allergies, an introduction between the ages of four to six months significantly reduced their risk for developing peanut allergies. Um, so high risk would be like they have eczema, because um, eczema puts you at a very high risk for food allergies, especially severe eczema. So that's just one example. Um, and then the EAT trial looked at kids who were not high risk for food allergies, just like the general population. Um, and was there a significant difference if we were if we introduced early? And the answer statistically was no, but there was a lot of like statistical errors with the study. Um, there was like a really high dropout rate of people not adhering to the protocol. So what all of this data show shows us is it's very likely if you have a child who is high risk for developing food allergies, that starting solids between that four and six month mark can reduce the risk for those allergies. But the other data shows us that we need to wait for the motor milestones at six months. Um, so my kind of the conclusion that I have come to knowing that because there's no like one perfect answer of the exact time that you should start solids because we have to weigh milestones, we have to weigh allergies. Um, so if your child is not at a high risk for allergies, um, it is likely okay and probably preferable to wait till those milestones are reached. Um, however, if your child does not reach those milestones by six months, um, start introducing with purees. And then once they meet those milestones, if you choose to do baby led weaning, then you can introduce those more solid forms of food. Um, if your child is high risk for food allergies, like my kids, for example, um, I just make babies with food allergies. Both my Aww. kids have food allergies. My husband has food allergies. So um, Allergy family. I know that kids, <laughs> Yes, we are an allergy family. Um, so for, for if I had another child, for example, I would introduce purees before the mm. six-month mark um, with the mind of getting in as much allergen exposure as possible. So with that, I'm not focusing on like, 
you know, expanding a whole new variety of textures and expanding, like, yes, that's a priority for me, but the absolute number one priority for me, if you're to introduce before six months because your child is at high risk for food allergy, is to get those allergen exposures in as much as possible. And then once they show that they're, they're ready for solid foods, like um, table foods, with those milestones, then you can introduce those at that point. So that's kind of where I'm at. If you're if you're really wanting to reduce the risk for allergies as much as possible within that four to six month mark, I prefer on the tail end. So like five to six months is my preference just because of those motor milestones. Um, and then when they show that they have all those milestones met, then you can introduce the table foods. Okay. So how, two more things I want to touch on. How do we yeah. dive into allergies? I feel like that could be really scary because we don't know what the reactions oh, are yeah. going to be like. So what do we do? I mean, do we have to like clear our schedule for the day, make sure that, <laughs> that, that we're prepared? That's a really good question. So there's, um, well, first I want to say real quick before I go into the allergy discussion, that if you, you asked, where do you go for information when you hit that four to six month appointment window? Um, so yes, talk to your pediatrician. If you want one-on-one -on -one guidance, go to Taylor's you can always website. make an appointment with a pediatric dietitian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Um, but my course is going to be available for free in January, 2022. It's paid or yeah, 2022. It's paid until then. So if you need it now, you can go to my website and pay for the course, but it will be free. And my course goes through all of this information awesome. in depth to give you a like good base for how to start solids, what products you need, when should you start solids, what foods are good that you need to start with, what nutrients you need to focus on. Because like I said, our pediatricians just do not have enough time to go through all of this education. And so now I have a free course for parents who need that. Amazing. So Amazing. that's where you yep. should go, Gotta go to my YouTube channel yes. and my website for those free courses. Now allergens, this is also something that I include in that, um, feeding one-on-one course. Um, but I have been toying with the idea of making another course just about allergens mm. or parents who have high risk kids or who are just especially concerned about it because I know that it's a worry and I know what it's like living with the anticipation yeah. that your child is going to have an allergic reaction. So do you need to clear your whole day? No. Um, but you do need to watch your child closely for about three to four hours after, um, a food has been introduced. Does that mean you need to be like <laughs> staring, hovering <laughs> over them? <laughs> no, but like I wouldn't, you know, go on a road trip and have them in the back seat where right. you can't see them or, um, send them to daycare. Mm -hmm. I would not do those things. Um, so I recommend picking a weekend day, picking a day when you're going to be home, when you're comfortable, um, and introducing an allergen in the morning, right when they wake mm. up. Um, so you can watch them for as long as possible and then put them down for their nap time and have them on a turn on, um, because babies are not awake for four hours. So, um, mm, that's smart. <laughs> it's also smart allergens, because you're starting it yeah. off on the day. So you know that it, it's nothing else that previously they've had, you know what I mean? It's Correct. not inter yes. interfering. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, we should be there's eight main or nine now sesame was just added as the ninth major allergen. So there are nine major allergens. Um, and we need to be, you know, systematically introducing them over a time period as quickly as possible, because the later you wait, the more at risk they're going to be for developing a food allergy to that allergen. So we ideally want to get it in with that first month or first one to two months, if, if you must extend it that long. Um, but, and keep in mind that a child can typically will 
might, a child might not have an allergic reaction the first time you give a food just because of like the biology of an aller of an allergic reaction. You have to be sensitized to the food. And then the next time you're exposed to it is when you react. Um, so I like three times before you can kind of take a breather. <laughs> now that doesn't mean your child's never going to be, have an allergic reaction to that food. My child was exposed to wheat several times before he had his allergic reaction. Um, but it means you can probably rest assured that your child, it does not have an allergy to that food. And doing that over at least for yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and doing that over what period of time, like within the same week or over like, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I like to do like three days back to back. So like, let's say we're doing peanuts. Let's get a, in the morning, we'll do a serving of peanuts. And so that would be like peanut butter swirled in oatmeal, peanut butter in, in yogurt. If you've already introduced dairy, peanut butter on toast. If you've already introduced wheat, you could do peanut butter spread thin on a teething cracker is super easy. You could do Bamba puffs. Um, I buy those at Trader Joe's and those are really easy. And so give your baby those, that serving of peanuts and monitor them. And then the next day do the same thing. And then the next day do the same thing and then move on to the next allergen. And so I kind of want to dispel a myth yeah, here for you. Please do. That's okay. Um, so there's this old thought that you need to introduce one food at a time and spend three days in between each food before you move on to the next. Like I'm introducing avocado to my child and now I need to just do avocado by itself and then wait three days and do just banana by itself and then wait three days and do pumpkin and then wait three days and do eggs. Like, so if it's not one of the nine major allergens, nuts, peanuts, <laughs> fish, shellfish, eggs, wheat, soy, dairy, and sesame. So if it's not one of those nine, you don't need to systematically introduce it like you're doing the others. So like if the first time you feed your baby, you're giving them avocado and banana, that's okay. Right. You don't have Do the to avocado separately. wait three yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's the systematic introduction is only important for the allergens. Um, and then, or if you have a very unique medical condition and your doctor tells you to do Ooh, that. this info is... In which so case you should be working with an allergist. Oh. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I, this is, yeah, this is just amazing. Okay. The last thing I want to touch on before I let you go, because I feel like I could talk to you for mm, 10 hours, um, is <laughs> choking, gagging. Can you just briefly, because this is something mm. that I know new mamas, pregnant women, when they're thinking about this, this could also be really scary, just like allergies. So mm -hmm. how do we navigate that? Yes. So, um, with information, that's how you should mm -hmm. navigate this with evidence-based information. So I'm going to give you some of that right now. First, as a mom, I understand it is scary the thought of your child who's gone only from a liquid diet, they're like feeding either at the breast or at the bottle and you, they're just so mm -hmm. snuggly and like right in your arms and like protected in this little cocoon. And now they're, they're in your chair they're in a chair and they're like a real little person and they're eating food and it's not liquid. And what if they choke because you're responsible for them? Like I get yes. all those thoughts that are going through the head going through your head. Um, so that's why I think it's important to empower yourself with information. So yes, it's scary to think, and it's logical to think that this solid piece of food is going to be more at a risk, more risky for choking than breast milk or formula. But if we look at the research of children who are fed the appropriate size and texture of foods, meaning like it's large enough, it's soft enough. A good test is like, you can squish it between your fingers mm -hmm. 
because if you, if you could squish it between your fingers, a baby can likely squish it between their gums. So if you're feeding the appropriate size and texture of foods, if you're choosing to give table foods, which is like a modified baby led weaning, your child is not more likely to choke than if they're on purees. There is several research studies that looked at the choking risk um, and the child who is baby led weaning fed versus the child who is puree fed. They have equal choking mm. risk. Um, where we see the higher choking risk is when parents are putting food directly into their mouth and when you feed the baby, your baby an inappropriate um, texture food. So like the highest risk of choking food in these research studies is raw apples. Mm. So like giving your baby an apple slice is a very high risk for choking. Um, and so that is the t- determining more important factor when it comes to reducing choking risk is appropriate textures and not sticking your fingers in their mouth while they're eating versus like baby load weaning versus purees. Do with that what you will, because I know it's hard to believe that that feeding those pieces of food are, are not high risk for mm. choking, but the research does support that. Um, and then also recognizing what the difference between choking and gagging looks like. Um, so choking would be um, whistling or no mm. sound because their airway is either almost entirely occluded or fully obstructed. Um, tr- turning blue, which is much easier to identify in a Caucasian child. So if you have, um, if your baby is black or a darker, really dark skin tone, don't just rely That's on color to yeah. identify Important. if your baby is choking because you won't be able to tell. Yep. Um, a look of terror on their face too is also really important in identifying choking. Um, and if your baby is gagging, usually um, their eyes might water. You can still see them breathing. Um, they might make a coughing sound or they'll like Stick like thrust tongue, it out yeah. with their tongue. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, and so in that situation, you just want to be like, choo, choo, choo. You can do it. Push it out, push right. it out and give positive support because your child learning to gag and get that food out of their airway is great mm. because you want them to be able to clear food exactly. out of their airway. You want them, like if they get a small toy, now they've had practice, which obviously you want to avoid choking hazards right. with toys, but like, let's say something happened and you just missed it. Your toddler brought a button and yeah. whatever. Like your child now has the skills to clear their mm-hmm. airway and that is good. We want them right. to do that. So gagging is a good thing because it's them showing you they know how to protect their mm-hmm. airway. So it's scary. Just take a deep breath. Bring in your partner after the gagging incident and, you know, go have a breather because I know your heart will still be beating. You might be a little sweaty, Um, but just be as positive and supportive of them as you can. And don't stick your finger in their mouth to get the food out because it is very high risk that you will actually push it further and cause a choking incident back in their airway. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. So for anyone listening... I have not gotten enough and I don't have a little one on the way or in my life right now. So I just feel like I can't get enough of you and all of the information you have. I have so many notes. We didn't even get there. Gosh, people have to go check you out. You already mentioned your YouTube channel, which I was going to mention so much awesome info and like cool graphics. You're, you're killing it. You also, I want to mention are launching a podcast, which I'm so excited for you. Yes. Congratulations. You want to just say what that is Thank and you. Um, we'll put the link in everything, sure. but tell, tell everyone. Yeah. So I originally launched my YouTube channel with the goal of providing free education for parents about this information. Um, I want every parent to have access to 
quality and reliable and science-based information about how to feed their babies. Um, there are lots of free courses out there, or there are lots of paid courses out there about these topics, and now there is a free option. So I will be releasing those courses on YouTube. I already have some mini courses on YouTube and in the works as well, in addition to the ones, the Feeding 101 and Growing Intuitive Eaters 101. Um, now the podcast is going to be very similar content. Um, I just recognize that some parents don't have the time to sit down oh, and yeah. watch a YouTube course. Mm -hmm. um, and so I will be releasing all the free courses on podcast as well. So if you need to listen while you work out or while you're in the shower or while you're on a walk or while your toddler is playing in the background, now you have the option to do that as well. I Insta. love it. All the links you'll be able to find for Taylor will be in the show notes. And we primarily focus today on pregnant women, aspiring mamas, because well, it's mamas in training, but there's also so much information that she has about toddler feeding and all of this stuff. Two cool things that I saw on your Instagram I just want to draw attention to is making food fun. So adding sprinkles to food, like what, what person yeah. <laughs> doesn't just love sprinkles? It's so fun. So I would highly recommend check out her Instagram and find that about sprinkles. And then also a really cool post that you put up about serving cake to your daughter, where you presented it just like on a plate mm. with every other thing. It wasn't like, oh, after you finish this meal, then you can have some cake. It was right along next to the apple and right along next to the broccoli and everything else. And yep. it was just even. So that's like, I mean, I'd love to get into it, but we just don't have the time. She totally went for the broccoli there. See, <laughs> I noticed on that picture, you posted a before and after of like what she ate. And I was like, yeah. look at that. It's all in presentation, yeah. right? Or even you had something where you like rolled up meat with these like fun little colorful forks. And so once again, it's like presentation. Yes. I love it. Easy presentation. E yes. I'm not about spending no. like 30 minutes making it no. cute. It's got to be like less than a exactly, minute. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, Taylor, this has been such a joy. I'm so grateful for you and your time. And I know that my my brain is just exploding with info and I hope everyone goes and checks you out. Get yourself that course. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. A lot of mamas Coming I know up. who are listening yeah. on this podcast are due this summer. So January would be a perfect time to check her out. Taylor... It Thank you be. so much. You're just awesome. I appreciate you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.